Искусствоведение. А, искусствоведение, очень интересно. Вы любите живопись? You like painting, живопись? You like This painting? is the sound of a Russian conversation class at the library. You're hearing instructor and librarian Liana Alverdova ask Anne, one of her students, about her favorite school subject. It's art, if you don't happen to speak Russian. We got to sit in on a few of the language classes at the library recently, and we asked the students who were Zooming in from across the city and actually across the country why they joined. My name is Cedric. I, <laughs> I live in, in North Carolina. Uh, my name is Margie from Margaret, and um, I live on Staten Island, and people come up to me in stores and speak to me in Russian. It's very, it'd be very useful for me to answer back. My Mia Daivushka, my, my girlfriend, my partner, um, is Russian, and I'm wanting to increase my Russian level so that we can have a conversation outside of what's your name. And um, this, I look forward to this class every single week. That was Liana's Russian class, but we also got a chance to sit in on a French class, too. Angie, comment vas-tu? Très bien. Très bien. Je vais très bien. Je vais. Je vais très bien. And a Spanish class. Hola, todos. Hola, todos. Hola, Carolina. Hola, Alicia. Hola. ¿Cómo están? Uh, yo uh, nací en uh, Guyana. Ahora yo vivo en Brooklyn. ¿Cómo están? Bien, señorita Trini. Bonne semaine. A vendredi, bonne semaine. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir, Virginia. <laughs> It's so nice to hear different languages. I mean, it kind of reminds me of eavesdropping on a crowded city street or, you know, being in an airport, oddly enough. I think I really miss traveling. <laughs> yeah, that feeling of being around strangers, right? And, you know, one of the constant things across these classes were um, the smiles on people's faces. People were talking to each other, even if it felt a little awkward and they were learning new skills. And that feels kind of rare these days. That's definitely true. I mean, it's been a rough year. That's an understatement. So we thought it's about time we heard some good news. That's right. Today, we are bringing you all the good news we could find to brighten your podcast feeds. I'm Krista Corbett-Kavoris. And I'm Adwa Aduse. You're listening to Borrowed, stories that start at the library. Okay, Adwa, I have got the perfect good news story for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, we're going to set the scene. This is a very familiar sight to a lot of parents and teachers at this point. A kid on Zoom, futzing with his Zoom background. Hey, Sam, you're on the beach? Yep, let me change something. Wait, I'm going back. <laughs> oh, now he's in space. Oh. So from his home or from outer space, depending on what's on the background, Jason has joined one of our library programs called Read to a Therapy Dog. On the other Zoom screens are BPL librarian Stephanie Sin and Zooming in from Brooklyn, Angel, an eight-year-old 65-pound shepherd mix who today is wearing reading glasses. Um, I'm Jason. Um, I'm 
I'm seven. I like space a lot. I read to myself, but now I read to Angel, and I love it because I love dogs. We're starting at the first page, Angel. Years up. Okay, she's ready for you. Chapter one: A day at the beach. When people say something is a day at the beach, they usually mean it was easy. Not me. When I think about a day at the beach, I think about the hot sun and burning the coffee. So you're hearing Jason beginning to read to Angel. And Elizabeth, Angel's handler, is raising Angel's ears and making her wave her paw. So when Jason finishes his 10 minutes, Elizabeth brings out a piece of string cheese. Thank you, Jason. You're welcome. What is next now? What does she get? Hmm. A treat? Oh, yeah. Thank you for coming again. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Great job. Bye. And then the next young reader is already waiting in the Zoom waiting room. Elizabeth shifts Angel back into position so that she's looking at the camera. And six-year-old Zekai comes on screen. I'm Zekai and I'm Ada. You can see it on the screen, basically. These kids have gotten so good at this. It was Zekai's first time reading to a therapy dog. Show to Angel the book. That's oh, awesome. Look at that, Angel. Look at it. Oh, she has doggy glasses. Oh. Okay, Angel, ears up. All right, she's ready. Boy frog, sit on a log, said the cat. But I don't want to sit on a log, said the frog. Logs are knobbly and uncomfortable. They can give you splinters in your bottom. <laughs> That's pretty great. <laughs> This um, is the cutest thing I've heard all week. Um, tell me a little bit more about Angel. So Angel has actually been coming to the library since 2016. This dog is a pro at this. The program, Read to a Therapy Dog, it used to be in person. And kids got to pet Angel and sit down with her to read. And it was a great program for young readers who maybe aren't used to reading out loud or have trouble with the confidence. So this is how Elizabeth puts it. The goal is to love reading. So the dog will not judge that child in case uh, they make a mistake or they skip a word. And uh, it's to build up their confidence and they can read loud. Dogs know more about people than we do. So, and they know when somebody's under stress and um, they know how to get there, give some love, you know, it's part of uh, their mission in life, I would say. It's really amazing that this program has been able to transition to Zoom. Definitely. And it's not, you know, innate for dogs. Just like humans, they find it really hard to sit in front of a screen for a long time. I have to put a piece of cheese, something behind the computer so that she can look. And for the dog, it's very, very hard because she has to, this dog has to sit here for an hour without moving. We spend uh, two hours and a half off leash in the park every day. We used to walk like 10 miles a day. Oof. Um, that puts me to shame. That's a lot of exercise. I know. I really feel like I should pivot my lifestyle to be more like angels. You know, exercise, books, cheese snack, repeat. 
Um, Angel's been a therapy dog for six years and not just at libraries. Through the organization Pet Partners, Angel visits hospitals and schools and has even worked the New York City Marathon three years in a row. Librarian Kat Savage is the other coordinator of BPL's Read to a Therapy Dog program. And she talked about how eager the kids are to read to Angel. So if, if it's a picture book, um, a lot of times they'll take the, the time to, to point out something, you know, that they love in the book and, and get into it. One thing that I think parents can sort of take away from this, too, is, is sort of creating these opportunities to read together and be read to and taking turns uh, reading to each other. So you don't really need to have the dog to practice this type of encouraging reading. But if you do have a young reader who wants to meet Angel, she zooms into the library once a month these days. So we're going to link to the next Read to a Therapy Dog program on our show notes. Thank you. Bye, Angel. Love you. You look so cute. Bye. <laughs> so, cute. so cute. Um, So I don't know if I can compete with how cute that story was, but... I do have another good news story for you. Um, During this year, you know, we've heard a lot about folks who are more isolated than ever before. Um, And when the world transitioned online, older adults were one group who were at risk of being cut off entirely from their communities. Well, in the beginning, uh, we were a little hostile as for what to do because we thought it was just going to be two weeks. This is Judith Blaze, the coordinator of Books to Go. But as it got um, progressively worse, we started um, calling our homebounds to make sure they were okay, let them know what was going on. Um, Then we developed a telephone buddy uh, where we paired staff with um, homebound homebound seniors who wanted to have somebody to talk to regularly. Since May 2020, the Services for Older Adults team has been calling the same 98 patrons every week to check in on them. They've also sent out masks and free food vouchers to homebound patrons, which the library defines as people who are confined to their homes even before the pandemic and who have a visual impairment or a physical disability that limits their ability to handle standard printed material. So what were those homebound patrons saying about how they were feeling at the beginning of all of this? Judith said that they definitely missed the library and the books, but mostly it was human interaction that they were missing. They miss having conversations about books, um, interacting with people, but they were strong. The consensus was they're strong. And um, it was nice to hear that they're, they're fighters. They've always been fighters and they'll continue to be fighters. You know, you rarely hear older adults referred to as fighters, but I think Judy is right. Definitely. As soon as the library started connecting on the phone with patrons again, they were asking for certain books to be set aside for them so that when the library opened up again, they would be sure to be able to read the books on their list. And that's just what happened. By November, Judith and her team were back at New Utrecht, mailing books to patrons who cannot otherwise get things to read. And Services for Older Adults has transitioned to online programming as well. Lyman Claiborne, the coordinator of services for older adults, says it took a lot of teaching, but they figured it out. I myself had taken um, some calls from patrons where I literally had a cell phone on one hand and a laptop on the other hand, and um, they are on a landline in one hand and cell phone on the other hand, and we're 
walking right through um, doing a virtual program. So we've had creative writing classes on Zoom, chair yoga classes, Latin dance classes, and older adults tuned in from as far away as the Midwest and even Argentina. Wow. These um, became pretty much a socialization and therapy session, really, for a lot of our older adults. Um, we would have um, some older adults that would come literally straight from a memorial service or a funeral last year to these programs. Um, specifically, I'm thinking of a patron named Faye, who's around 92 years old, and her husband sits there with her, even though he is a victim of Alzheimer's disease. Um, he sits right there with her. He may not understand what's going on, but she says he's happy when he's watching the activities. So powerful. Um, and like Judy said, older adults are fighters. They're resilient. Judy talked about how wonderful it was to see patrons, 90 and older, adapting to the times and learning new technology. We have a patron who is about 103 um, this coming week. Her daughter got her an iPad in hopes that she would learn how to download books and read books online. And she mastered it at 103. She was able to do it. So she goes in, in, to the Brooklyn Public Library website, download her books. But she comes back and says, as much as I appreciate using the software, she said, I'd much rather have a book. So she couldn't wait for us to open so that she can go to her, her book and actually feel the book and turn the pages and read the book. I have to say, I prefer a physical book too. I like both, but it is so wonderful to see older adults learning new technology skills. And there are other reasons to learn how to use Zoom because sometimes it's the only way that older folks can connect with their kids and their grandkids this year. Yes, and that leads me to the next good news story. This one is about another population that might find it hard to access a virtual community right now, babies. That is the sound of one of our youngest patrons, Emma, a toddler, singing a song she learned at a BPL program called Brainy Babies, which is an early literacy program for babies and their caregivers. Oh, she's so cute. She really is. We interviewed Emma's parents, Therese and Jens, on Zoom the other day. Therese and Emma have been attending Brainy Babies pretty much since the program switched to being held online. I actually didn't have a library card because we just moved here like about a month before everything shut down. I went on the events page and said, let me see what kind of events they have. And I clicked through and I saw that there was Brainy Babies. Um, so I decided to check it out. From We've been going every day ever since. As a matter of fact, there was one day where we had a dentist appointment scheduled and I just pulled it up on my phone in the waiting room. Therese spoke about how much of an impact the program is having not only on Emma, but also the family's sense of community in their new city. Three weeks after we started Brainy Babies, they were about to go on Thanksgiving break. And so we were all saying bye, everybody on the, on the call was waving bye, bye, everybody, bye, bye, bye. And Emma was like, no, 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 don't, don't go. And they, the screen cut out and she started crying. 
And I was like, oh my God, I didn't know that it was that impactful for her. They really single you out that, you know, they, they ask you how you're doing. They call the children's names, you know, it really, it makes us all feel like we're a part of it, you know? Emma and Therese aren't just regulars at Brainy Babies programs. Now they're also sharing their skills with the Brainy Baby community. And I heard you mention that Emma helps teach the group American Sign Language from time to time. True. Um, Revere Joyce, the early literacy outreach associate and a Brainy Babies coordinator, said that Emma will often teach the other babies a word in ASL. It's a skill that she has from her family's multilingual background. Which we're trying to teach her Spanish and also sign language. And she gets German from her dad. And because the program is now virtual, Jens' family can join in all the way from Germany. Like 10 minutes beforehand, like walk them through how to install Zoom, (laughs) try to figure out how to rename them and all that. And um, that was that was definitely um, a nice experience. I saw his mom dancing. I love that. The library is always connecting communities and families across generations, but now we are connecting them across countries even. Next up is a story that connects neighborhoods right here in Brooklyn, right, Krista? Yes, this is the ultimate feel-good story. We are about to hear from one Florida couple who met at the library. BPL's Eastern Parkway branch in the late 1960s. I'm going to let Dennis and Angela tell it. We talked to them a couple of weeks ago on the phone. Oh, I was probably about 16, 16, 17 maybe. Mm-hmm. Junior or sophomore in high school. Mm-hmm. I was uh, leaving uh, one date and got caught in the rain and decided to walk into the library. And uh, that's where I saw Angie. She was on a ladder stacking books. And I saw her legs and I said, oh, my God, what a beautiful lady. The legs got me right away. I had a part-time job after high school when Dennis walked into the library. It was amazing because when I looked at him, I said, oh, my God, I had a funny feeling inside of me. And then the next day he came back again, and I looked at him, and I said, I'm definitely going to marry him. I don't, I don't know where it came from, but it just came out. And I was just in the 10th grade. Never had a boyfriend before, but I said, this was it. <laughs> I probably said, I'm going to marry you. I think that was probably the first or second thing that I said to her. A little little presumptuous on my part, but I saw her and I instantly fell in love with her and um, came back a couple of times to talk to her. And uh, from that, you know, we've been together since then. Um, Actually, she lived on Eastern Parkway, uh, I guess in Crown Heights. I lived in uh, Brownsville and um, made the daily trek from Brownsville to... uh, to the library to uh, see her. And he has a dynamic smile. I just, even up to now, even to na- today, his smile is very, how can I, how can I put it? Very um, comforting. And he's very uh, pleasant. He's always very pleasant. This is their daughter, Dana. I just wanted to add something that I think that they have overlooked. Um, they've been very modest, but I think they forgot to mention the their families and the coincidences that existed before they actually met that day in the library. My dad came from Costa Rica. My mom came from Panama. When they first moved to the U.S., living in Brooklyn, they were both living in Bedside, a block away from each other, and didn't know each other. But even prior to that, back in Panama, my dad's side of the family and my mom's side of the family knew each other. 
So our families go back generations way before they met that fateful day at the Brooklyn Library. To me, it was just meant to be that day. It was just a weird feeling that I had. And so far, life has been good. He's the same person I met 49 years ago. And actually, I don't even remember the girl that I was dating before I met Angie. (laughs) That was almost as good as dogs on Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we have got time for one more feel-good story. What have you got for me, Adjoa? One of the coolest bits of BPL news from this year, hands down. The library now has a poet in residence. The first ever to claim the title is Saray Jarrell Johnson, and we got to talk to him recently about what it feels like to be BPL's official poet this year. Hi, I'm Saray Jarrell Johnson. I am the inaugural poet in residence at the Brooklyn Public Library. I am also the author of Slingshot, which is my debut book of poetry released in 2019 by Nightboat Books. And um, I'm also an erstwhile librarian. For years, the Brooklyn Public Library has sort of been an unofficial office for me. I completed a lot of the book at the Brooklyn Public Library. A lot of the research for the book was, um, you know, through the Brooklyn Public Library. Um, I started working in libraries when I was 13 years old, reading to young people. And, you know, I was a latchkey kid growing up. And so when my mother was at work, I would, you know, need to be out of the house if it was summer and stuff. So I would go to the library by me and the librarians just like took me in. Like they were like, you should read this book. I saved this book for you. And it was like a very friendly kind of attention. So I feel like I became fond of librarians and saw really what they did from a very young age. After college, Saray went to library school and he ended up working at the AIDS library in Philadelphia, where he said he met a lot of people who influenced the way he thought about activism, language, and identity. You know, it's a public library. It's a public consumer medical library. So I, I spent the day working with, um, you know, people who come into public libraries, but, you know, definitely political, like folks who had been on the ground as the epidemic began um, doing organizing work for, you know, decades at the point where I met them. I learned, I mean, I can't even tell you how much I learned from them. Like, um, I, I live with systemic lupus erythematosus, and I feel like my time, you know, being a librarian at the AIDS library, not just changed my idea of what solidarity meant between, you know, immunocompromised people, people with diseases of, of the immune system, but also just, like, what it means to be, like, a Black queer person, like, fighting for your life, like, organizing to save your life in whatever way makes sense to you. Activism informs Ray's poetry, too. And it has special meaning for him that he is BPL's poet in residence this year, a year that has seen a growing movement for Black lives, as well as stark health disparities. As part of his poet in residence role, Saray has been running workshops for Brooklynites over the past few months, and they've been very popular with over 50 people attending some workshops. We're just going through different kinds of inherited forms, seeing how we can mess them up and make them different than they were and uh, make them serve us, not serve them. And uh, seeing how it can influence our poetry, even if we never write in form again. This sounds like a great workshop and we'll put a link to the upcoming sessions on our show notes page. Adjua, did Saray have any advice for poets and writers right now? Uh, Yes, actually. Basically, really simple. Just be kind to yourself. I think that this is a time for close attention. I mean, if you can read widely, clap it up for that guy. You know, like, I mean that so sincerely. But my brain stopped working the moment quarantine got serious. If you can read a couple of words that have nothing to do with COVID-19 every day or 
a couple times a week, good for you. Good for you. I feel like we should all be easy on ourselves because capitalism caused this crisis to be like this. And whatever we can do to thwart the idea that we have to be productive, even under the most dire conditions, I think is a good thing. We'll put a link to Saray's poetry and his book on our website. And Saray created a book list for this episode made up of some of his favorite books which he checked out right here from BPL. Some of them, like Lake Michigan by Daniel Barduski and IRL by Tommy Pico, informed his first book of poems. And others, like Lighthead by Terrence Hayes and How to Carry Water by Lucille Clifton, he read during this past year, a year when reading and writing have been remarkably hard for many of us. You can find all those titles at our website, bklynlibrary.org slash Borrowed is produced by Virginia Marshall and written by Virginia Marshall and me with help from Fritzi Bodenheimer, Jennifer Prophet, Meryl Friedman, and Robin Lester Kenton. Our music composer is Billy Libby. Borrowed is brought to you by Brooklyn Public Library and is hosted by me, Krissa Corbett Kavoris, and Adjua Aduse. You can find a transcript of this episode at our website. Beta listeners on this episode included Lucretia Neal, Melissa Marone, and Carolisa Kimmel. Bard will be back in a few weeks. In the meantime, here's to all the good news.